Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Tabitha Scott, who is CEO of Cole Scott Group. Today we will discuss year-end mania, the perfect time to recharge. Tabitha is a Certified Energy Manager, or CEM, and a Certified Demand Side Manager, CDSM, and completed four levels of human biofield accreditations. She was formerly Chief Executive Officer of Military Assistance Company. She served as Senior Vice President of Innovation and Sustainability at Balfour Beatty Investments and Lend Lease Americas. Tabitha is an advisor and speaker on energy, change management, and innovation with several published works. Tabitha, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here today. What is a certified energy manager and a certified demand side manager? Those are designations by the Association of Energy Engineers. And the last 15 years of my career, I've done a lot of work with energy generation like solar power, renewable energy from biofuels, and other types of energy sources. So those are designations just as a CPA would be designated um, for accounting and things particular in that field. The CEM and CDSM are certifications for those managing energy. So when I'm talking about human energy, I have a context of energy and electricity from the engineering perspective, as well as human biofield studies of energy. I said earlier in the introduction that you have four levels of human biofield accreditations. What is a biofield? Human beings are basically made of energy. We used to think that all matter was created by atoms and small particles. And now with modern physics and quantum physics, we understand that we're basically vibrating energy and we are beings made of light. And so we have fields of study like biofield studies that use things like ancient technologies and chakras. And what those are are just energy vortexes that power our bodies. So since we are made of energy, there are ways that we can use and direct and balance that energy to refuel ourselves, to re-energize ourselves, and stay positive and mindful and present. How do you know where... The energies are, you talked about chakras and humans being made of energy and light. Are there measurement tools that show you these energy boundaries or these energy levels in humans? Interestingly, there are some photography techniques that you can use to capture them visually. Some people are able to see them with practice over time. But um, from an energy perspective, I come from a different background. Most people are medical in nature or either have a spiritual study, a religious background that work with chakras and human energy. But coming from the engineering perspective, it's a simple matter of um, 
if we were measuring energy in a bit leaking in the winter time so we could fix it, there are cameras where we can take a heat, a thermal photograph of that, and we can see where the hot spots are. In the same way with our human body, there are seven hot spots starting at the area at the base of your spine and going up to the top of your head, and those hot spots are your energy vortexes. And so biofield studies, there are some like Reiki that are more popular and less involved, and then others like Healing Touch that are nursing programs. And depending on which field of study you're working with, they all incorporate using those seven centers of energy in the body. To balance them. The, I'm sorry, those seven centers, I, I couldn't make out the last word. So the seven centers or primary chakras, it may sound like science fiction, but from an engineering perspective, they are just vortexes of energy where our bodies interact with its surrounding environment. So they are the hot spots, if you will, in the human body. Is that in some ways similar to, say, for example, when we look at the body and we say, most of our heat is collected in certain areas of the body and we lose most of our heat. Say, for example, you always hear that most of our heat is lost through our head. Is this concept similar to that? Heat is a thermal type of energy. So if you have inflammation, um, say your shoulder was injured, you might feel heat on your shoulder. But Heat is a different type of energy. The energy I'm talking about is more like electricity um, measured in hertz. And it's how we generate, we eat food to produce energy. And so that energy from food that we eat, there's not necessarily a, a um, temperature like making you cold or warm. It's the energy needed to regulate our natural temperature at 98.6 degrees. Does that make sense? I think so. It's a different kind of energy that you're referring to when you talk about biofields versus the thermal energy, but there are energy types, if I'm understanding correctly. That's correct. And how all of this relates to business and how it relates to us staying healthy and energized is because organizations, businesses, business cycles, products, human beings, we all share the same growth curve, all of us. We have a birth, a maturity, a, um, a birth, a growth, maturity, and then a decline phase, just like the seasons of the year. And so understanding what's going on in business, you might have a brand new business or you might have a mature business you're working with. And our bodies are the same way. So it takes energy to um, to come into existence, to grow, and to mature. And it takes energy for companies or products or inventions to do the same thing. So all things tie back to energy. One of the concepts that I've heard experts in – relationships discuss is that there are people who share energy and there are people who 
suck energy away. So some people share energy and some people take energy away. Is this something that applies to our discussion? You know, that's interesting to me that you bring that up because it actually can be explained by science what's happening. And looking at it from an electrical standpoint or an energy standpoint, people that you are in sync with that have the same vibration as you do, you've heard the expression, we're on the same wavelength, right? Or I can feel a certain vibe about you. These are all phrases that we articulate in language, and they come from the source of energy and acknowledging that um, source within each of us. So if you're in sync with someone else's energy, you're literally vibrating like a tuning fork um, at the same frequency, then you will amplify each other. If you are vibrating at a higher frequency than someone else, then they are activated by their lower chakras or like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They're operating at a lower vibrational frequency. And if you are dealing with the higher things on Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs, then you're dealing with your higher chakras. It's going to take energy for you to come down and energy for the other person to come up for you to get aligned with each other. And when you're in an environment, then you're dealing with varying degrees of energy. Is there a tendency for this group of individuals, say in an office environment, to find a balanced, a place where they can all coexist with a minimum amount of energy expenditure? Is that how it works? Absolutely. And I call that personal energy potential because everyone is energized by by a certain set of strengths and preferences. And there are models like the AIM cube, which was developed overseas in Europe and now being used in the United States by companies like Apple and Philips and Altria. And these tools can actually help us measure what energizes their employees. For example, is it a lot of change or are the employees better at risk management? Do they prefer working with people or systems and things? And then are they very specialist, like a heart surgeon, or are they generalist, like a general physician? So understanding what energizes your employees and literally creating a heat map of where they would optimally fit within your corporate strategy, aligning those two things creates synergy, and it creates additional energy, and you're able to, um, it doesn't feel like work because people are energized by what they're doing. And we know through a Gallup poll that people that are using their strengths and abilities every day are six times more likely to be engaged at work and 8% more productive. And so how does that measuring tool work exactly? The measuring tool It has three axes. It's a 3D model, and it's a psychometric tool. In the past, companies have worked with things like Strengths Finder or DISC 
or Myers-Briggs. And those instruments are based on Carl Jung's psychology work from the late 20s. What the AIMCube does is sort of the next generation of psychometric tools because it's based on movement and it ties individual strengths directly to the growth curve. So you could look at a product or a company, for example, and where they are on the growth curve. You might have a mature company with a mature product, um, and it's going to look very differently. You would need more risk-averse people for that. Or you might have a company that has new products and needs innovators. So this AIM cube could tell you the people that are predisposed and energized by change. What it also helps you do is understand if someone is not a fit for a particular job. For example, I would rate at uh, the 99th percentile on exploration with the AIM cube, which means I like a lot of change. And so the jobs that I tend to work well in are finding new technologies, innovation, things that change very quickly and are future focused. However, if you were hiring a CPA or an attorney to guard your product and your brand, then you would want someone that maybe was on the opposite end of that spectrum that was very focused on stability and following compliance and finding risk. So it's understanding what your employees are energized by and then relating it directly to business. And that's how you can increase innovation, agility, and productivity. When you say that it's a psychometric tool, does that mean that people sit down and take a written test? That's correct. It's an online assessment, and it takes about 10 minutes to complete, so it's not nearly as long as most of the ones that are popular in the industry right now that are psychology-based. It's also more ontologically based, which means how are you acting, not how you want to be or who you perceive you are, but how are you showing up at work? Companies like Heineken have used it very successfully in their marketing department, for example. They were struggling with new IPOs, new competitors entering the space, and what they realized, they're a company that's over 100 years old. In their marketing group, they should have had a lot of leadership that was on the exploration side that wanted change naturally, was energized by it, and what they learned was, after doing this assessment, they didn't have those people. And so they were able to realize that and bring in some balance to that team and then create some of the most successful ag campaigns in history. How does that relate to the concept that it's helpful to have a balance in your workforce so that you have different points of view and you have different personality types that work together so that you're not too heavy in any one category. That is an absolute critical assertion for businesses today is to think about diversity from the perspective of cognitive diversity. And if your team is missing people that think differently than you, then you are not able to innovate as quickly. 
we've done several live events and studies with Fortune 500 companies and proven to them we'll sort them by like type groups first and then by diverse thinking types. And what happens is you have a balance of both. So in the first activity, when you have all of the natural innovators together, the activity is come up with as many new ideas for a mundane product like a pen or a paper clip. And those people are going to win that activity every time. But there's an activity that we do right behind that, and it is take one of your ideas and walk through this five-step business process. And the people that are most risk-averse and able to see the big picture and scale up businesses from a big-picture perspective and a risk perspective, they always win that activity. And then when you balance the groups together, both innovation and business process go up. So you can literally experience the synergy through that balance. So to summarize what I just said, people on both ends will be good at specific tasks. So for a marketing PR group, you might want people to be skewed a little more on the innovation side. However, if you want a balanced effect overall in your company, like in your C-suite and your senior leadership, you need the balance of both innovators and risk-averse optimizers because they are the ones that can scale the business and that can stabilize it over time. There's often reticence on the part of senior management to adopt new ideas, to embrace changes, be they technological or of other kinds. How do you, using these techniques and this concept of energizing, get more of that likelihood of adopting new ideas and embracing change, especially in the very large companies that have a reputation for becoming stale in terms of being innovators? I have been working with a Fortune 500 company that has been focused on innovation and done a lot of reorganization around innovation and culture, wanting to make sure that they have a diverse set of thinking in their culture. And what has made the senior leadership open to those changes is that they are seeing the quantifiable results that if you have a balance of what energizes various people at the table, then your results are increasing. They can see the hard numbers showing that when in like-type groups, they had this many ideas. When in diverse thinking groups, their ideas went up by 37%. So, I think you have to come back to quantifiable studies and statistics and show them proof that this is not high-in-the-sky, touchy-feely stuff. This is science, and when you have more energy, you have more productivity. And so they need to think about energy as a way of creating innovation, creating more productivity, and therefore profits and not think about it as something separate like touchy-feely things that we need to do at home to regenerate ourselves. 
if we tie everyone's personal energy to corporate strategy, fantastic things can happen. Tell us a little bit about those scientific studies. Would you share some sources and dates so that our listeners can find out more about these studies and their findings? Sure. A good resource for them would be the Human Insight website, and they have various places that people can look to large companies like British Telephone and see statistics. The statistics that I have are not available for the public. They are internal to companies that I have signed non-disclosures with, but I can tell you that innovation idea generation went up 19% to 53%, depending on the group we were working with. And then business planning went up between 39% and 45%. Are there studies done by universities or researchers or scientists published in academic journals available to our readers that show some similar results to the ones that you just shared? Absolutely. There is a Gallup poll. If if people Google engagement at work, finding their strengths, skills, and abilities, there are many Gallup polls, but it shows that people are 8% more productive and six times more likely to be engaged, 15% less likely to leave their work. There are also studies published through John Hopkins University that show when the mind is occupied on things that energize it naturally, like gratitude, that it simultaneously cannot feel burnout. And they've used it with physicians to rewire their outlook and recharge their positive energy. So John Hopkins is a great source of that. And then there are other studies that show where our mental energy goes. Um, There's one in National Geographic called Unlocking the Power of You that's one of my favorites, and it shows what you believe with your mind, where you focus your energy, you can create similar effects to drugs, reduce pain, improve relationships, and boost your overall well-being. So there are several studies out there scientifically. What is the year of the Gallup poll that you mentioned? I want to say 2014, but I can follow up with you in an article with that. Do you know what the years are for the Johns Hopkins University study or the National Geographic study? I do. Let's see. The Johns Hopkins one is... I have links to them, and I'm just clicking through here. That's 2014. And the National Geographic one is 2016. Excellent. Thank you. In what ways, if at all, Do these energy levels and compatibility relate to 
our diversity as people. And by that I mean whether it's by gender, whether it's by age or socio-demographic area where we live, culture, are there any relationships between energy levels and culture or any of these other categories that I've just shared? There are relationships within certain fields of study. For example, Purdue University has done a lot of work with the AIM Cube and looking at what naturally energizes, how do we measure what a successful engineer would look like, what, how do they find them, and then, um, you know, help them get into the workforce. And so there is, imagine a quadrant, and in the lower left-hand um, space would be focused on content, and also focused on stability and finding risk and compliance. So that is a typical um, energizing, like heat map, if you will, for an engineer. Whereas an HR director would be the top right. They're going to be more human and relationship focused, but also compliance driven and focused. You might see marketing and communications and PR would be in the top right because they are often very people-oriented, but they live in the future. They see what's coming next, and they enjoy change. And so it's grouped less by demographic and male-female. We have not seen a statistically significant um, trend to those things, and um, that's important because – validating these models, these psychometric tools, is really important. There have been over 85,000 people that have taken the AIM cube, and it has been validated through a number of universities. But um, it's been interesting to me because when companies want to be diverse, then I see it as you start with the demographics and, you know, make sure you're doing the right thing as far as including people of different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different gender. But this kind of gives you a whole new language that takes that off the table. And it really focuses on, is this person energized by what I need in this role right now? And you can be completely unbiased if you're just looking at how a person thinks you can take all of those things off the table, which I think is a fantastic way to eliminate bias. These 85,000 people who have taken the AIMQ tests, is that in the U.S. exclusively or is that internationally? That is internationally, and the majority of that is in the EU and U.K. How many languages I would say there are two languages available now that people can take it in Dutch and English. And we have recently, my colleague and I, helped develop an American English version that's targeted towards American business um, instead of the U.K. spellings and the Queen's English. I'm assuming that then we're talking about mostly, if not exclusively, 
either folks who are in academia, such as professors and students, as well as corporate employees. Is that the bulk of the 85,000? That's correct. I would say mostly corporate employees. Is that mostly at the senior level? It's throughout the organization. A lot of times they will use it with mid-managers and up because it's great at looking at your teams to see if you have a balance. What does it mean if within those groups, and some of the studies indicate that those groups tend to be overrepresented within certain categories, does that mean that the results have the potential to be skewed if there is a very high percentage of a particular kind of employee among the test takers? It doesn't, it doesn't make the test skewed because there has been such a balance between students, employees, leaders. Um, there's a balance in the people taking it. And I understand your question. It is your preferences would be the same whether you were a business person or a student. So it's different than a Myers-Briggs or a personality test that, for example, um, big picture thinkers, maybe 65% of um, Myers-Briggs types are big pictures that are executives, whereas in the general population, for example, most people um, are detail-oriented. And I'll have to go back and look up those stats. I'm, I'm thinking that um, it's sensing-based versus big picture. So, um, I'm really botching this up because my I wasn't expecting to go into psychometric tools. But um, the public can be the majority one way, and leaders will end up being a majority the other way. That's the key point on psychological tools. Now, the AIM cube is a psychometric instrument, but it works very differently. It's based on ethology, how we evolve over time. It's based on movement and change. And so it's different measures that doesn't really have to do in the same way that a DISC or a Myers-Briggs or a Strength Finder does. What sorts of measurement tools are available or are there any to keep track of the success and the evolution of these tools and their long-term effects, because this is a relatively new thing from what I'm hearing. Yes. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of things in place to do that, and that's one of the things that my colleagues and I have been adamantly gathering is real data from real companies so that we can start to have that data mining and repository of scientific evidence so that it's not a um, touchy-feely thing. It goes from being an abstract ideation program to a tangible way of increasing the energy in an organization, the productivity, and ultimately the innovation and profits. 
have the studies looked across a large enough sample in terms of the companies and the environments where these tests have been administered to give us a representative sample, meaning as we know, if you have too many, I'm sorry, if you have too few in the sample, the results are not reliable. So how geographically diverse and how diverse in terms of the companies are these 85,000 takers to date? It's extremely diverse. It um, started in the EU and expanded to United Kingdom and then the United States. And you have companies that range from the tobacco industry to um, technology industry to telephone communications. You have academic institutions. So it's all across the board. And that is what makes the tool more robust. And if you go to Human Insight website, then there will be ways to contact. They can put you in touch with the validation studies that show behind the scenes how they've done that and how mathematically that works out. What do we know, for example, in terms of age and energy level? If we segment the market, and there, of course there are many ways, but among the most popular ways that we hear a lot is by millennials, baby boomers, Generation Z, the silent generation. Is there any data in relation to those market segments? The data is captured. However, it is not in readily available reports for the specific AIMCube tool. There are other experts and people that work with generational diversity, and that's a different context. And um, so as far as the source of our energy, the age doesn't matter. It's because we are energy beings at our core, it's finding whatever that is that motivates us and then finding a way to refuel ourselves leveraging that. So for an older person, it might be painting. For a younger person, it might be going to the coffee shop. It just It's all relative to what creates positivity in that person's realm. I'm not sure of understanding. Are you saying that there are no commonalities by age groups? I'm saying there may be infinite commonalities or differences. There are no, there's no one measuring how people are energized generationally through a construct of a mathematical tool like the AIM cube. So that's something that if it exists, I'm not aware of it. You mentioned quantum physics earlier. Is there a direct link? between quantum physics and this AIM cube measurement tool? There is a link in that through quantum physics, it helps us understand that when we observe something 
at that point in time, we are constantly affecting it. And so the AIM cube is an observation of what energizes employees, for example. We'll use it in the business context. So by understanding what energizes those employees, what are their natural strengths as far as movement and energy, then we are able to tie that to corporate strategy and create greater synergy. For those of us who are not quantum physics experts, let me see if I get the gist of it. The quantum physics at a very simple level is, for example, the idea of the famous saying, if a tree falls in the forest, does anybody hear it? If we take that to the concept that if there's no one in the forest, then nobody hears it because by observing what's happening, we are, in fact, changing it. So are we making an alteration in the environment by the very mere fact of administering the test? Absolutely. Anything that we do to interact with another human being or with a system, it creates change, and that is constantly vibrating and constantly changing. So let's take, for example, an organization that is working with the culture of its employees, and they administer this tool that shows how cognitively diverse that team is. Then you sit down and talk to that team. For example, a team I worked with recently were sales executives. And on the team out of 14, 12 of them were clustered in the same quadrant. They enjoyed working with other people. They were very high-level thinking people, so they were generalists. They could do a lot of things at a high level, and they loved change. Fast, new ideas, love to adopt them quickly. Well, there were two other people that were very specialized in what they did, so it was very important to them to be an expert. It was also important to them to follow procedure. They were great at finding risk and stabilizing the organization, and they also preferred working with things or systems and computers. And so understanding the way that these groups were organized, the vast majority of the team felt like the the other two who were content-oriented and experts in their field, specialists, they felt like they were holding them back. They felt like, well, maybe they don't like me. Whereas they were just energized by something different. They were energized by working with systems and by becoming experts. And then in, if you look at the other perspective, the two individuals that were specialists and were risk averse felt like they were walking, you know, 12 dogs on leashes at the park and every rabbit that passed, the dogs run off to chase it. You know, they felt like they were off chasing rabbits all the, all the time. And so understanding that it's just how people are energized and their preferences and how valuable it is to get the input from those extremes. But until they observed that dynamic, until that was created into space, going back to quantum physics, until that observation happened, that team did not understand the dynamic of what was going on with energy. They might have thought that person doesn't like me or that person's slow or that person's careless. 
those are adjectives that we put in place with psychology. So looking at it from a physics perspective, once you understand and observe what energizes people, you're able to take, again, that bias off the table. And I think that's the most powerful angle for tools with cognitive diversity is you can help eliminate that conversation about what's between our ears um, because you're focusing on the brain, not the face. What role do practices such as mindfulness, meditation, religion, spiritual exercises, even physical exercise, if any, play on this concept? Because we're talking about physical changes. And many people believe that there are very close ties between one or more of these ideas that I brought up. Absolutely. I recently wrote an article that was published in Home Business Magazine, and it talks about getting up and moving around or at least shifting every five minutes because physically your body is more productive when you're moving, when you're active. And from a physics perspective, it's a lot easier to move an object to accelerate an object that's already in motion versus taking something that's sedentary and in place and taking the energy to get it in motion. So the more we move, the more we're physically fit, then the easier it is to keep our energy level up. We're able to hold a higher vibrational frequency. And the same goes for recharging your mind. So practices like spirituality, And depending on religions, religions are very separate from spirituality. They're ways of explaining this physics and this energy that maybe we wouldn't understand otherwise as easily. But this universal source of energy is often referred to as light. Sometimes it's referred to as chi or the Holy Spirit, or it's referred to as prana. So depending on what your background is, the context is irrelevant. The important piece is that we're tapping into a higher power and a higher level of energy and vibrational frequency by focusing on things like meditating or biofield balancing or prayer. What is biofield balancing? That is quite literally looking at the seven chakras as well as smaller chakras or energy centers throughout the human body. And uh, it works with animals as well. And you literally act like a, a conductor of electricity. The way I explain it, because I come from that energy manager context, is if you had electricity flowing in a wire and you put a hand on one end and your other hand on the other end, you would become a conductor of electricity. It would flow through you and through whatever you're holding that had electricity in it. So that's what biofield balancing is. People literally touch one area of a human that has electricity coming from it and then connect through their body to another area of electricity, and you sort of act like jumper cables in the car. 
Um, if one of those energy points is not flowing, then your body helps become the connector that can jumpstart it and get the energy flowing. So you balance it. Sometimes people might have too much energy coming out. They might have an energy, a um, injury. And so it's producing heat and inflammation and too much. And other times they might not be getting any. It might be closed. The vortex might need to be restarted. And so literally you're balancing that biofield, that energy field that every human being has. And there are spots along the body that you can touch to do that. Is the concept that everyone has the same level of energy naturally, or is the idea that different individuals are energized in different ways? Individuals are energized in different ways, and we perform better when we are able to work in an environment or our home life aligns with an environment that we are naturally energized by. Going back to being in sync with someone or in the same wavelength with someone else, those are words that we use in human language to explain how we feel, how our energy feels when we fit in and when we are doing something we enjoy. So whether that's at work or at home, being in those environments is really important. The ones that we enjoy will energize us more. So everyone is different. Um, I've done jobs before where I'm a programmer, for example, and that's very much against, it takes a lot of extra energy for me to do it. Now I'm capable of doing, doing it and I'm capable of doing things like accounting, but it takes so much extra energy because it's not what I'm wired to do. And it's the same if someone, you know, that was great at accounting started working with new technologies and um, the things that I'm working with. So you have to have a balance on your teams and you have to realize someone that's working with you or a spouse at home, they can stretch out of what energizes them naturally for a period of time. But like a rubber band, eventually they're going to snap back. And it wears us out. It exhausts us. So a lot of times at year end with holidays going on, with budgets wrapping up, thinking about next year, you have a lot of things that are different than the day-to-day types of things that people are doing. And they're having to stretch out of what naturally energizes them. And it wears people out. And so being mindful of positive things, just the act of writing down three things that you're grateful for every day can change your entire well-being and your health. It may seem basic, but how do you know what are the things that energize you. It seems like the kind of thing that we would all know inherently, but I suspect it's not quite as easy as that. There are tools like the AIM cube that we discussed that can measure that, and then you can use that in a personal or professional context, but if you don't have that, it's okay. You can just think about what is the thing that, what is a memory that you have 
that you felt incredible at that moment. You felt like you were fulfilling what you were put here to do, or you just felt the sense. Um, a couple of examples I give is when you're getting ready to open presents at a birthday party or at Christmas Eve, um, that feeling of anticipation and excitement as your favorite football team, the starting lineup is called and they're heading onto the field, that anticipation when someone's singing and they reach a note and you get goosebumps. What are you doing at those times when you have those feelings in your everyday life? Is it helping a child? Is it volunteering with a senior? Is it um, doing your taxes? Probably not. But there are many things that energize us in different ways. But if we think about those moments that we have that sensation, that is our energy stirring in a very positive way. And then being able to replicate those that feeling either by thinking and reflecting back on those moments of happiness and joy and gratitude when we are in a stressful situation, go to the break room for two minutes, close your eyes, and think about some of those positive things and what were you doing when it made you feel that way. Ultimately, if you can find what you love to do, then figure out how to get paid for it. That's the best of all worlds because when you align strengths with strategy, you get the synergy of increased productivity. Sounds like it is possible for you to energize yourself, to strengthen your energy level. And if I'm understanding correctly, these exercises, these practices that you've just shared with us are ways to identify the things that energize you and make them stronger energy-wise. Is that right? Absolutely. And those ideas and concepts can pump you up, can energize you. And there are also techniques like biofield energy techniques, like imagining a vortex or a little tornado starting going left to right around your body and it's going clockwise from your feet up to your knees and then your waist and your shoulders and then up into the universe. Imagining that spinning, that's one way to literally spin yourself up, spin your energy up. When people talk about meditation um, for someone who is naturally high energy, um, like me, for example, I really struggle when people say, well, just meditate on that or say a mindful prayer. It's very hard for me to do. So depending on the person, maybe they exercise or go for a hike in the woods or maybe they can imagine spinning their chakras up. There are many different ways to, quote unquote, meditate besides just sitting in silence for hours at a time. So thinking about it in a different context than um, being quiet, which is very effective for some people. But for others, we can think about what energizes us, what makes us happy, and focusing on those things. The, one of the concepts behind meditation, as I understand it, is a sort of stillness in your mind that actually is supposed to give you better control and, in a way, be more energetic is this 
energy something that you can control, that you could be a master of, rather than just free-flowing energy that is out of control? Absolutely. And that's what the practice of meditation will do or of energy um, management of your own personal energy management will do is it will help you control it, whether it's controlling um, things like a temper or controlling your external facing energy or controlling, you know, your internal, your positive belief. The bottom line is energy is the source And where you direct it, then everything else follows. You know, you've read the book, The Secret. You know, it talks about that concept. And there's not a single Olympic-level athlete that doesn't spend time mentally visualizing what they are going to be doing. So a lot of it is mental meditation, visualizing your success. And if you can see it, then that's the first step. To making it happen. What would you suggest to our listeners who want to sort of take baby steps in this direction to better understand and perhaps to learn how to harness some of this energy? What steps or resources, what would you suggest for those who want to learn more and try their hand at this? There's a helpful website called healingbeyondborders.org, and that talks about the biofield nursing study and various techniques that you can use, and that's available to the public. Um, So that's an introduction as far as healing the body and repairing the mind and emotional states using energy. So another resource that I would use is Just focusing on gratitude and focusing on the belief that you can change things. Studies have shown again and again, and Tony Robbins is a great source for this. He makes a lot of money talking about setting your personal vision and then achieving it. But that first step is actually believing that you can change in a positive way. And that belief itself, it becomes your energy that fuels you forward. Are there ways that you can integrate, if you will, into your life at home, into your life at work, to help you recharge, to help you be more aware of these energy levels and this energy source? And especially now, as we were saying at the end of the year when you have perhaps some tiredness and some anxiety for some people, there's a lot of loneliness. What ways would you suggest for people who want to get a better handle and recharge themselves? I think first of all, understanding what energizes us as individuals is the most important thing because if you're aware, if you're self-aware, for example, I prefer to um, work with people versus spend a lot of time with content and reading um, detail. So understanding that about myself, I would understand why, man, when I have to take time to do the accounting and the books as a small business owner, 
um, why I feel so drained and exhausted and just dread it. And understanding that academically helps me process, wow, okay, if I get through this, I can go cycling for an hour afterwards. And that's a reward. Um, so rewarding yourself with the things that naturally energize you is important. If you're in a space where you have so much mania going on, if you're stretching yourself in a direction that does not naturally energize you and you're just exhausted with your end, with loneliness, then one simple technique is just to get somewhere quiet for a minute. And if you can't get somewhere quiet, then just close your eyes and focus on breathing in very deeply through your belly first, then your chest, and think about breathing out through your closed eyes. Now, that sounds really hokey, but what it does is it creates an energy flow through your body, up the belly, in through the chest, and if you're thinking out through the eyes, and it literally creates a soothing energy from your core, out through your head. So that's something you can do in literally 60 seconds to recharge yourself and just kind of get control if you feel completely at a loss. Is there a relationship between energy and your environment as well as your diet, your nutrition? A lot of people think of energy drinks, caffeine, kombucha, all of these different ways to stimulate your body from the outside, as well as things uh, such as toxins, carcinogens in the environment. How much importance do these factors have? What can you tell us about that? Well, they have a profound importance, and we could spend an entire hour just on that topic and just be dipping in a toe um, with it. There are a lot of studies that show if you just Google energy from food that the more you cook your food, for example, you're cooking the energy out of it. So I used to use a slow cooker all day while I was at work, for example, and I didn't realize at the time I was cooking most of the a lot of the nutrients out of it. So eating fresh things that um, are actually grown or, you know, created uh, from the earth without chemicals and without a lot of those um, things on it that were not naturally wired to digest, then that maximizes your energy. And things that, um, you know, like sugar or artificial sweeteners, things that your body is not designed to take in over time, it may temporarily increase your energy, but it will zap it um, shortly thereafter and create long-term health effects. So to get the best energy boost, then um, going with fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh things that are um, grown without a lot of artificial things added to them. Isn't sugar, though, what your brain feeds on? How do you strike that balance? Well, you're getting more into the medical realm than um, I'm more of an energy expert than a medical um, expert. So I'm not sure what I do know from um, 
being an athlete and running many marathons and a few triathlons is that the fat, um, a lot of fat is what we will put in our diet to fuel the brain, the good kind of fat, but I'm not qualified to answer that question appropriately. What would you suggest in closing for our listeners who want to gain a better understanding of this in terms of additional resources? You've already shared a number of studies and websites as well as some exercises. Is there anything in parting that you think is really uh, on the leading edge or uh, very exciting that our listeners should look toward? I think the thing that is leading edge we're looking at now is how all of these things come together that are very old concepts, and yet we're beginning to integrate them into business. And when when I say that, what I mean is um, in the Far East, in our Bible, for example, we have been referencing the light, the source the um, how to tap into this universal energy for thousands of years. It's nothing new. And now we're just realizing that by doing that, we can boost our productivity. We can become more agile and more productive. Plus, we'll feel better. So it's not the newest of the technologies outside of the AIM cube, which can measure our energy levels, what energizes us. Outside of that, it's things like realizing that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the original one with seven levels, not the more popularized one with five levels, it actually aligns to your seven chakras, which are your energy centers. And your energy centers um, run the things that Maslow's hierarchy does. Likewise, the AIM cube has three different measures, and it correlates to Maslow's hierarchy. So it's realizing that, All of these tools that we've used, even musical notes and vibrational frequencies and colors are associated with different chakras in the human body. So everything comes back to energy and just realizing that since we're energy beings, to be the happiest, most productive that we can be is to figure out what energizes us most, what makes us happy, and focusing on finding time to do that or have it be your career, or make sure you're getting some of that at home. And the AIM Cube, tell us a little bit about that, and how can our listeners get more information on the AIM Cube itself? Is it a test that you have to get through a specialist? Is there a website where you go? What kind of costs are involved? It depends on the specialist that administers it, and there are around 40 qualified specialists in the United States, for example, that can administer it. And um, colescottgroup.com is the website for the company I work with. We have two specialized um, experts in the United States and one in the United Kingdom that are qualified to administer that. So we can we can help them through that website come into contact with Human Insight, how to administer the assessment, and learn more about it. Thank you, Tabitha, for joining us from Nashville, Tennessee.
My pleasure. It's been great. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to Tabitha Scott, who is CEO of Gold Scott Group, who discussed year-end mania, the perfect time to recharge. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.